Recently, a fairly dramatic event has occurred for people in the Borj El Barajni refugee camp where one of their strongest leaders from the Palestine Women's Humanitarian Organization, Alpha Mahmoud, passed away following a six-month battle with complications from neurosurgery to remove a brain tumour. This was shocking news to people in the Palestinian camp and to people here supporting her efforts to make life better for the refugees. We're going to talk now with someone who's just been to that camp, recently returned. I wonder if you could introduce yourself. Uh, I'm Lee Rhiannon. I really am a very passionate supporter of self-determination for Palestine um, and for their struggles. And look, I've been linked with those struggles for over 50 years through community work and through Parliament. Can you please tell us about your recent visit to Borj El Barajni camp in Beirut? Borj El Barajni refugee camp is one of those extraordinary places. It's had been described to me before I went there. I've been there twice, and it really is hard to um, fathom um, and visualise until you see it. The the conditions that people live under are so unacceptable. It's so deeply wrong um, because of the way they're being Palestinian people are treated. Um, and so it was. We went there. I was part of the um, Data Struggle Film Unit. We're making documentaries about the struggle of Palestinian people, and this camp is recognised widely as the really the worst of the refugee camps. Which, as um, many of you would know, there's refugee camps continue in Jordan, Syria, um, obviously in Palestine and in um, Lebanon, and the conditions here are extremely harsh. Um, and it was uh, Alfred's home for, she was born there and it was her home for much of her life. So, yeah, it had a big impact on us being there. I was thinking of Alfred because we didn't know that she was ill at the time and then heard the very sad news that she had died. And I certainly send my condolences to the Alfred family, her friends and work colleagues. It's a huge loss. She was a very unique person. When did you last see Alfred Mahmoud? Um, Look, I was in 2018. Um, she was... Unfortunately, I never met her um, at the Burish Barajani camp, um, which is something that I regret. But the last time I saw her was in 2018. She was here in Sydney for some work um, and also promoting her book. Um, and her book, I would have always recommended to people wanting to understand Palestine, Tears for Tahisha. Is um, and Tahisha is the name of her family village, one of the hundreds and hundreds of villages where Palestinians were forcibly expelled from in 1948 in that huge ethnic cleansing act of genocide that went, went on. So it's about, it's about her family and about the struggle and about her life and you learn so much. And being frank about it, it's also a very good read. I very, very much recommend it, particularly now that she's just died and she's in everybody's hearts and thoughts. Olfat began as a nurse and provided services through the Palestinian Women's Humanitarian Organisation. Can you tell us about Olfat's work? Well, look, Olfat's work is just extraordinary. She impacts so much into her work um, and was very groundbreaking. She brought many services um, to the refugee camp where she was born and where she lived. Um, in, in that camp, there's this wonderful childcare centre. Um, some of the money from the big Palestinian bike ride will, I understand, will go to that through Union Aid Abroad. Um, and, uh, 
many levels, both being very innovative but being on the ground to help people. And one of the things I remember when you read the book, because she talks about being a nurse, being a nurse on the front line, going into very dangerous situations to rescue people, um, um, and then providing education and care, particularly to women and children, in a number of refugee camps. Um, and that all, her organisation that she was the founder and director of, the Palestinian Women's Humanitarian Organisation, um, goes on to this day, goes from strength to strength, playing, uh, uh, um, supplying incredible services for Palestinian women in d difficult circumstances. You recently visited that very childcare centre or kindergarten in the camp with filmmakers John Reynolds and Jill Hickson. Can you tell us about the purpose of the film and your visit? Uh, we were visiting to collect footage and do interviews for this film. The um, filmmakers, John Reynolds and Jill Hickson, um, have done a lot of, um, a, a whole range of work, but particularly in the progressive movement. And it was their concept that we should go to... Um, Palestine um, and go to the different camps as well as uh, interviewing a whole range of organisations. The purpose is, is to make a number of films, um, the main one being uh, uh, one that will inform people about the struggle of the Palestinian people against Israeli settler colonialism and also obviously the apartheid nature of the Israeli state the Palestinians are battling with at the moment. And the purpose is is to provide these films um, free, feel that they'll be freely available to Palestine support groups to help build an even broader mass movement of support for the Palestinian struggle. Um, I grew up with the um, big struggle against uh, South Africa and what the, the apartheid South Africa. And so many struggles teach you that we need to really have a strong, powerful, broad-based movement. So we're hoping it will assist that. Did you say that your mother had been to Palestine at some stage? Yes, um, no, and sadly for my family, my mum is now dead. But she worked for an international women's organisation. Her name was Frida Brown, and she um, was in Palestine in the 1960s. And then I think my more I remember two visits specifically, and then again in the 1980s after the shocking massacre at Shabra and Shatila. And she uh, helped exp um, bring that um, story, that, that terrible, those terrible attacks and mass killings to the wor world's attention. In the 1960s, that, that trip had a huge impact on me. I can remember her coming home and described to me meeting these old men and women who actually had the key to their house. And I'm at this stage a teenager, um, I was born in 1951, so I'm on my mid-teen years. And I was incredulous that, you know, I knew bad things happened in the world. There's wars, there's famines, people treat each other badly. But the fact that you could take somebody's home from them and just evict them en masse, you know, like thousands and thousands of people, tens of thousands, I was just incredulous at that. And it stuck with me forever. And I remember going to the refugee camp in Bethlehem and they've actually got a giant key above the entrance to that refugee camp and sometimes they're invited to go to festivals in Europe and they take the key with them as symbolic of the crimes the, Palace, uh, the crimes the Palestinians have suffered from the Zionist attack. So the one above this entrance was brown and big. And looking back on it, I figure if they were taken to 
Europe. Maybe it wasn't made out of metal, but it certainly looked like the real thing above this um, um, entrance, a very large entrance, like, you know, where it was across the two lanes of a road that dri drives into this camp. So it was a very large arch with this huge key in it that they proudly told me that they take to festivals all over the place to demonstrate the crimes of Israel towards the Palestinians, you know, that they stole their land, they stole their homes, and they continue to do that. When one of, There's so much that hits you when you're in Palestine, but the march of the illegal settlers, and I use march because, to my mind, we have to equate them with troops, like the, they, they really are effectively occupying the land, um, in a huge mass takeover, which continues to expel Palestinians to this day. Is there anything you'd like to add? Look, I really just wanted to congratulate everybody associated with the Palestinian big bike ride. Um, and I think that probably the final word to say is to give it to the Palestinians. What so many people said to us from, you know, arranged interviews with um, NGOs, with academics, with people we'd sit beside on the bus is please take our struggle to the world. And I think that that's what's so vital. The world needs to be alert to the crimes of Israel. Our tears are for you, Olfat, a window of hope for refugees in the camps, shedding light in the dark. Not yet born in Borj el Barajne, you dream of return, dashed by 11 men who met in a white building on a winter's night in Tel Aviv. Your village painted red, one of the last cleared generational terror of our Nakba. One last glimpse of home for Aliyah, not one for you, her granddaughter. The fear of dear Yasin, more than 100 murdered, Aliyah's exile begun, marooned in Lebanon, in a canvas tent, multiplied into a camp, only to be bombed by Israeli planes. You met Helen from Australia, like you, a nurse, forging hope in the camps, a partnership that brought in the unions to become a feeder. We remember the siege of Talazata in 1976, the old men, the women, the children in dread, telling their stories of survival after shells came down like raindrops becoming blood in Shabra and Shatila in 1982. You remember the kindness of a Kurdish man become a demonstration of Lebanese and Kurd to stop this crime being brought into your camp by the butcher of Beirut, Ariel Sharon, and his accomplice, Amal. To think you survived all this, to tell your story in Sydney and in New York before those cruel leaders who pay no heed. You lived through COVID in a camp, a stateless Palestinian woman, now dead in Burj al Barajni, denied your quest to go for once to Tashiha. In Palestine, you live in our hearts. Helen, Ken, Suha, Mahmoud, your sons, comrades, and all the people in the camp, we love you so. <laughs>
وناس الحنين مكان 